my name is Dan Song again. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's uh, just good to be together as we celebrate and, and look forward to Christmas and wait for that longing. And that's what Advent is, right? Um, if you don't know, some of you might know, but the, that word means wait, to wait, to long for. And in this season, that's what we're doing. This Advent is not Christmas. Christmas is when Jesus comes down to earth. But this season is a time of waiting and longing for Christ to come back. Uh, We are entering into the story of Israel. uh, Israel's story of waiting for that Messiah to come. But for us, we're also in the second Advent, right? Because we're waiting for Jesus to come again. In the midst of both Advents where there's brokenness and darkness. That's what we want to be able to focus on. And that's what we've been doing. Last week we started this series called Advent for the Brokenhearted. And Isaiah 40 is a beautiful chapter that captures that Advent of that waiting and longing. Because if you, don't, if you know a little bit about Isaiah, Isaiah, the, the first half of Isaiah, what, chapters 1 through 39, those, those chapters are full of prophecies of God's judgment against Israel. They have sinned in many ways against Israel. And so God brings Isaiah these words of judgment. And they're harsh. They're hard to hear. And in the last chapter in 39, before we get to 40, it's a dire prophecy because what the prophecy is, is this. Israel, you are going to be exiled from your homeland. You are going to be taken captive by Babylon. Your homes and your gardens and everything will be in ruin and you will be held captive and as exiles living in a foreign land because of your sin. Darkness, brokenheartedness. But as soon as you flip the chapter to 40, judgment turns to comfort and hope. The second half of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, are prophecies and words of hope for Israel and for us. That in our longings, in our waiting for Jesus to come again, for the world to be restored, God gives us words of comfort for those that are brokenhearted. In the midst of darkness, that light will come again. And that's what chapter 40 begins with. And that's why we're going to go through the entire chapter of 40 through this Advent season, culminating at the end of chapter 40, if you, have, if you are there already, you can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 40. But it reminds us of this, that those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is the hope that we have in the coming Messiah, in Jesus' second coming. And so, if you have a Bible, turn to Isaiah 40. And we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 8. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 5 of the word that comes of comfort, comfort, of this beautiful promise that God is going to create this highway where the Messiah is going to come and forgive sin, the hope that Israel needed and the comfort that they received. But this morning we hear another word of hope that comes in these three short verses. So read with me. If you don't have a Bible, we do have church Bibles for you underneath the chair in front of you. And there you could... Look at page 599, but we're going to look at Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. A voice cries, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. Lord, we come before you this morning, and I ask that even with these short three verses, uh, that you might speak to us and give us the hope that we need, especially in this season where many of us might be experiencing hard times and brokenness, grief and tears. Uh, Lord, won't you comfort us and give us the hope that we need here in your word, because we know that though the grass and the flower withers and fades, your word will stand forever. So may that be true here this morning for our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In these short three verses, uh, I'm going to be very unpresbyterian as a pastor and not give us a three-point sermon or a, even a two-point sermon, although you could probably argue that there might be a two-point sermon in here. But I just want us to reflect on what this prophecy holds for us. There's two things juxtaposed to each other, right? It's the grass and the flower and the Word of God. In other words, what we see here pitted against one another is the frailty of life, pitted against the permanence of God's Word. Now, when we think about the frailty of life, I can't help but think about us as we get older, death that comes upon us. And I feel like many of the conversations I've been having lately is of our taking care of our parents who are aging and getting older, struggles with dementia or Alzheimer's, cancer or illnesses that many times brings up and reminds us of the frailty of life, right? I remember for me as a 20-something-year-old, and I remember visiting my grandfather, both of my grandparents on my mom's side uh, suffered with dementia and passed away. But I remember as a 20-something-year-old visiting my grandfather for the first time struggling with dementia and sort of not really understanding what I was going to be uh, coming face with. And as I opened the door to my uncle's house and walking into their home, I saw my grandfather kind of by standing by the patio door in the back. And I remember this vividly. And he turned around and looked at me, and he had just this glaze over his eyes. He had no clue who I was and asked my aunt and uncle, who's this man, this stranger that's in our house? This was a man that grew up, that I grew up with from the time I was born all through elementary school. This was a grandfather who walked me to school every single morning and would pick me up after school. This was a man that would give me piggybacks and throw me up in the air and play with me all day in the house and in our backyard. And as I confronted my grandfather for the first time, in many years, I realized that he was just a shell of himself in the man that I knew. A man that did not know me anymore. A man that would take walks and we'd have to find him for two or three hours thinking the worst things. When in the middle of the night he would just go up, get up, and in the middle of a living room or wherever relieve himself. He was a shell of a man that I remembered. And it grieved me. And it reminded me so much of the frailty of life. So much so that I remember going home 
And I was, we were newlyweds and I saw my wife and I told her, please, please, if I'm of old age and I'm suffering, I, I just want to die. I don't want to live past 70. Give me five good years of retirement and I just want to die. <laughs> now, being 40-something, like, no, I want my life to be extended. But that's the kind of impact that it had on me of the frailty of life and the harshness of life. The grass withers and the flower fades. Tish Warren, an Anglican priest, said this in a recent article that she wrote in the New York Times. She said, memory for all of us speaks to our inherent limitations. Forgetting is part of what it is to be human. That becomes more evident when facing Alzheimer's. But even for those who do not have dementia, almost all of our days have faded from view. Just this week, my neighbor shared with me, our next door neighbor shared with me how he got the news last week that his brother had just passed away suddenly at the age of 48 of a heart attack. But what was even harder to hear was that their dad also died of a heart, of a heart attack at the age of 48. And as I sat with him, I said, that's got to do a number on you. You got four more years as you think about what 48 looks like. He said, I know, it's been the hardest week of my life. Now, it doesn't just have to be death. Many things conjure up and remind us of how frail and impermanent life is. Now, why was this so important for Israel to hear this? Well, because for Israel, they had put all of their trust in things of this earth, in people, in horses, and chariots. In chapters 1 through 39 that I mentioned about God's judgment to Israel, this is what, the, what God reminded Israel over and over again. Here's some excerpts from those chapters. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, or of what account is he? Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult, or consult the Lord. Behold, their heroes cry in the streets. The envoys of peace weep bitterly. God is reminding Israel that the grass withers and the flower fades, that when you put your trust in men and in kingdoms and in politics, and in rulers, and in your plans, and in your 401k, and you're in your economy, or whatever it is on this side of heaven, it will fade. It will wither away. And that's the stuff of earth that we need to wrestle with every single day of our lives. We do this. Let me ask you a question this morning. Where do you experience the frustration of a world where everything is impermanent for you? It might be with age and chronic illness, pain, body breaking down, your memory. It could be in people that we put our hope in. For some of us students, it's in your friends. But I remember my mom always telling me, the best friends you have right now will not be your best friends when you're an adult. Relationships break and, and, and we go through fights and conflicts. Your jobs are always insecure no matter how secure you think your job is. 
We know what's going on with our economy and the potential for a recession and the inflation and shrinkflation and all the supply issues that we've gone through. And let alone a pandemic that none of us would have ever thought would happen in 2019 and the beginning of 2020. We think about churches, even for our members here. As I thought about this sermon, as we join and receive new members, part of me is thinking, what's the point? <laughs> they might just leave after a few months, and I might just get another email that says we found another church or we're unhappy with this and we're gone, right? So much impermanence in our lives. We've been pastors, and we've experienced this over the last few years, who fall into moral failure. Those pastors that you've looked up to, the books that you've read, the sermons that you've heard, never thinking that they would ever fall into moral failure, and yet they have. The grass withers and the flowers fade. So where do we find our anchor? In the midst of a churning, changing world, where do we find hope? Well, it's in this last part of what God gives to his people and us. It's the word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Contrary to the frailty of life, contrary to man and women's weaknesses, God and his word abide forever. True, life is hard and it's short and frail, but God's word is not frail. God's word will last forever. It does not wither. It does not fade. God is immutable. He's unchanging. And God is the one who is the great I am. Jesus even said this. In the New Testament, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will last forever. Now, what does this mean, right? I mean, it's like, okay, great. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Like It sounds pretty. It's poetic. It reminds me of the impermanence of life and the frustrations of this world. But what does it actually mean that God's word will last forever? Well, here's where I want us to just give us three different little aspects to be able to meditate on this week as we long for hope in the midst of a frustra frustrating world. First is this. What it means when God says that his word will last forever is that it points to Jesus. It points to Jesus. Why I say this is that Hebrew, the Hebrew writer reminds us of something beautiful. This is what it says in the opening letter of Hebrews. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. But the Hebrew writer is saying, God spoke the world into being and into existence. God spoke to his people through prophets and through Moses and through Abraham and others. But finally, the ultimate way that God has spoken to us is through his son, Jesus. The word materialized. The word became flesh, lived and spoke among us. We saw him in his glory and we saw him full of grace and truth. The word of God points us to Jesus because the word becomes flesh and he dwelt among us. But he didn't just dwell among us. What did he do? He dies for us. He suffers for us. And he conquers death, that which is 
the reminder for us of the frustrations of our lives, the fears that we experience, the hopelessness, and he conquers death, looks death in the eye, and puts death to death, and he rises from the dead and gives us hope. This is the one that we are to be able to find hope in because when we, when we hear these words that the word of God lasts forever, we're reminded it's true because Jesus has made a way for us. That in the midst of the frailty of this world, in the midst of the impermanence, we have a God who is with us and dwells among us and suffers with us, who understands the frustrations of this world, who weeps when he sees his friend die. This Jesus is the word of God and we're able to be able to have hope in him because of what he has done for us. So first, it points to Jesus, but secondly, you know what else this does for us? It's important for us to know this because it prevents cynicism. It prevents cynicism. Think about it. When we experience life day to day, how many of us have experienced this question or asking the question, what's the point? What's the point of life? What's the point of me going to work? What's the point of me trying to raise my kids? What's the point of trying to have friends at school when they betray me? What's the point of life? The, Ecclesiastes, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes asked the same question. We're going to look at this in our Bible studies in the spring, in January. But the Ecclesiastes writer begins with this as his letter. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? He's saying life is meaningless. What's the point? What's the reason for all the frustration? Why do I have to grieve about all of this life? All the busy work? It would be better if none of us had been born. This is what the preacher writes in Ecclesiastes. It's better if we were just dead. He's real. Can you imagine if I came up here and just said, what's the point of life? Forget it. Just go home. Just hunker down and eat, drink, and be merry. But guess what the writer of Ecclesiastes says? In the midst of all the meaningless and the toil and the vanity and the frustration of life that we just looked at here. Do you know what he says? He says this. Because of our fear of the Lord, because of the knowledge of the Lord, because of who God is, there is nothing better than to enjoy the lot in the life that we've been given. We can enjoy the good gifts that God has given us here under the sun. Do you know what the writer says that we read here in Isaiah or what God says? The grass withers and the flower fades. Verse 16, all its beauty is like the flower of the field. There's still beauty to be appreciated in this world. Our lives are beautiful. There can be joy that we experience, food and drink and the good gifts that God has given us, even in our work. There's things that we can enjoy because of the word of God and Jesus. When we keep things in its proper place, when we understand that the things of this world, that grass does wither and the flower does fade, but because our God lasts forever, we can now enjoy the things of this earth. So it's no longer cynicism, but joy. This is what one commentator said. 
If we use God's gifts as many gods, we are like those who try to play soccer with a watermelon. The melon isn't designed to withstand our kicking and will crumble. But if we enjoy God's good gifts the way he intended, not as many gods, but as kindnesses, then we grow wise in locating the feisty joy that refuses to quit under the sun. This helps us and prevents us from experiencing the cynicism of the world that says, what's the point? But rather, when we put everything in its proper place, we can enjoy the thing, good things that God has given to us. This is how the ecclesiastic, the writer, the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, as he sums all of this up. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of your youth. While evil days have not come, while you can still hear and see and enjoy the pleasures of life, remember the whole duty of man is to fear God. Then you will truly be able to enjoy life in spite of all his frailty. And then you can honestly say, I have known that God sits on his throne. I've beheld him and with all of Zion and I rejoice that I can face the reality of death, even the frailty of life, because death itself points me in the direction of God Almighty and his wonderful word. The word of our God stands forever. And because his word stands forever, we can enjoy the good things of this world. I shared about my grandfather. And as I close, you know what sticks out even more powerfully than the experience I had with my grandfather? It was the love and the care and the words spoken by my mom and by my aunt and my uncle for my grandfather in his last days. Even though there was so much frustration and pain, because the word of God stands forever, they were reading scriptures to him, they were singing hymns to him, and it was their action and their love for him that was so powerful in his last days that it seared into my mind that in the midst of the frustrations and the vanities of this world, Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God stands forever and we can look to Jesus and we can enjoy the good gifts that God has given to us. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that in the midst of a world with so much brokenness and so much impermanence, we thank you for the beautiful reminder that your word lasts forever. That Jesus, who, be, who was the word that became flesh, conquered death and is restoring all things once again. And because of our Savior, we can enjoy the good gifts that you have given to us. So help us to do that now. Even as we come to the table, strengthen us. Give us the, the means of grace that we need so that we might be able to press on with the hope that you have given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.